and now it's going. Hello, welcome back to the Let's Talk About It podcast. This is episode eight, and I am proud to say that I have a very special guest, Mr. Alan Kovacs, who is a very prominent manager for bands like Motley Crue and the Cranberries, and he's actually with me today. Hello. So I'm very excited to have him on my podcast, given that my last episode was talking about the culture of addiction and how it was very prominent in the entertainment industry. And I believe that's what you sort of based your movie The Dirt off of, right? Um, yeah, it, it's a cautionary tale about uh, what um, bad lifestyle habits can uh, create in one's life and what people can do uh, to get through it and move on uh, from it. Yeah, that makes sense. And in a lot of my previous episodes, I sort of talked about like the roots of addiction and how it sort of stems from like childhood trauma and adult, a lot of like pressure and peer pressure. Would you say that's sort of like the root in the music industry? Because, I mean, I watched the movie and I loved it, but it was sort of hard to get a read for like where the abuse sort of came from. Like, was it just a part of the, like, of like being a rock star, that whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll idea? That's part of it. Um, you know, whether uh, it's the Rolling Stones who, you know, we're heroin addicts and alcoholics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the guitar player and lead vocalist of that band called themselves the Glimmer Twins. Uh, and they like to party and they like their drugs. Yeah. Uh, but what causes that issue uh, for an artist is very complicated. Of course, uh, trauma in their life if they're growing up yeah. and be a part of it. But also, uh, you know, the glamour of rock or hip hop or pop or R&B uh, isn't accurately portrayed in the media. Um, they have the hardest job in the world. I have the easiest job in the world. Uh, I, been working out of my house for the last 10 years. So COVID didn't change my lifestyle much. Mm -hmm. uh, and all through my life, I didn't go out on the road with the artist. I would go to a show, but I always told them, I'm not your friend, I'm your manager. And my role is to come up with priority, strategy, and execution so that you can sell more music, you can sell more tickets, more merch. Mm. Um, they, however, have a very unglamorous life. So I'll describe it uh, in a couple of minutes. It's simply to be an artist, uh, you deal with a lot of pressure uh, with, are people going to like my music? Um, are they going to buy tickets to my show? Uh, are 
are they going to buy my T-shirts? That's compounded with their ego to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, Any great artist has a very, uh, they have a big part of their brain that drives them to succeed. Um, Best artists have big egos. Uh, That said, because of that, they work, they overwork, and then they work again. So they're constantly struggling with, I'll give you an example. You're in the studio, you record your music, uh, you're in there every day, you're doing multiple takes. Uh, not a lot of windows, it's like being in your basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come out of that process after about three months, and then it's about making the videos and doing the social media and uh, doing the interviews to set up your record. And then you go on the road and on the road, you have a show uh, and you're done with your show after playing an hour or two hours. Uh, As an artist, you're uh, sky high with adrenaline. When you're done, by the time you load out, it's 12, 1, 2 in the morning, uh, depending on how much production you have. And then you got to get into a bus and you you have to try to sleep because by the time you get to the next town, uh, it could be 4 in the morning, 6 in the morning, but you got interviews to do for the radio station. And... You've got to get up. So they're sleeping uh, four or five hours a night, sometimes less, because it's very hard to sleep in the bus. So uh, they then have to move on after the interviews uh, to try to go get some sleep, but they drink a lot of coffee. Uh, To be able to do the interview or do the acoustic set at six, seven, eight in the morning. but they can't sleep because of the coffee. Um, and then they've got to go to the venue and do a sound check. And then after the sound check, they have to do meet and greet. And then after the meet and greet, they have dinner and then the opening act goes on and then they go on. And the whole cycle happens again, five, six times a week. So eventually you have the issue of, a sleeping disorder and how they resolve that sometimes with alcohol, sometimes with barbiturates and alcohol. Uh, and then it just keeps moving on and on. It may get mixed with Coke instead of uh, coffee. Uh, and it spirals out of control. I've been very fortunate in that I won't let an artist go on and on tour. I won't let them tour all over the world forever. They have to take breaks. Um, I also know when an artist isn't well that you have to uh, give them an ultimatum. Uh, They either decide to do the work to get better or 
they're not going to go out on the road, period. And we've even replaced uh, artists on the, including singers. Right. Uh, and we saved their lives and they've gone to rehab and they've gotten back in their bands while someone substituted for them. So I think the biggest problem we have in our industry uh, is the professionals in the industry are, you know, the problem with incentives is they work. Their incentive is the more the artists work, the more money they make. And the empathy of how hard they work is lost on many of the professionals. And I think that's also a uh, compounding the problem. Um, I hope that answers your questions. Yeah, no, that does. That definitely does. Because just like even listening to, like in the beginning, when you were talking about the pressure that they face just by, like, like I never really thought about the pressure that they feel from their fans, from selling tickets, from selling merchandise, and even at the end, the pressure from their managers. Like I've always heard like from the outside, obviously, that the music industry is very cutthroat. But just sort of understanding that cycle and what goes on in a day in the life of a musician, like it helps put the puzzle pieces together. So... Yeah, when I first signed on that, uh, I explained to them that they have the worst job in the world. Mm. That the only job I can possibly think of that could be as bad is to go work in a coal mine. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's a very, very stressful, dark, hard business. And uh, they need a lot of support um, if they're going to succeed over a long term. Right. So, sort of like on like a transition there. So, I know that you've obviously managed music a lot, and thank you so much for that description of like the cycle that they go through. But I also understand that, actually, let me just start off with a quick question, like clarifying. For the Dirt movie, did you help produce or direct that? Produced. Produced. Okay, that's what I thought. So in your production of that, like, did you really work with, like, the actors? And Because I also was talking about the entertainment industry in both music and, like, TV and, and movies. So would you say that they're almost comparable, the two industries? Sure. Uh, you know, comedians... Uh, are people going to laugh at my jokes? Mm. Actors, um, are they going to care about my movie? Uh, did I deliver that part? Uh, is this going to help my career end my career? Uh, you know, all those uh, issues. Do I look like for the part? Am I in mm. shape? You know, they they have to gain weight if they're playing a fat guy and lose weight if they're playing a skinny guy. So, you know, in all sectors of entertainment, uh, there's a high propensity for uh, drugs and alcohol. And I, like, I've done a lot of research and I just see that sort of as a form of coping. And then there are obviously certain drugs that are used to sort of amplify their lives or make it easier like the use of barbiturates and alcohol to help with sleep, the use of cocaine as a stimulant. So in my question, I guess, is where does 
like heroin really fit in like opiates being used in the industry because I remember seeing that in the movie um and I was just sort of curious on your take on that because my father was dealing with his struggles with a heroin addiction and he sort of used it as an emotional crutch an emotional sort of I'm I'm at a loss for the right word but just as a crutch for himself emotionally and physically from all the pain. So could you sort of, I think, I, I think you're right. Yeah. You know, um, when the pressure, when the career, uh, isn't on the arc, uh, that the artists would like it to be on or when they feel like, uh, they've lost touch with their friends, and family because they're on the road all the time. Uh, heroin becomes uh, the way to lose themselves and move themselves out of the despair. And uh, today, uh, the prescription painkillers uh, are the first step to that. Yeah. Um, and that's where uh, a lot of the addiction stems today. Uh, back then, uh, heroin was number one uh, because that was what was available on the street. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it depends on the generation. But today, I think uh, you can look at uh, prescription pills uh, that are the real issue for those that need to handle their despair. Yeah, no, that's something that I definitely agree with because that's how my father and my brother both, both moved into their opiate addiction. And something else that I found interesting was in a conversation with my dad once he started his path to sobriety, is he started talking about the fact that he believes that there's a cycle of these drugs that you were talking about, sort of like generally, generationally, where you see heroin comes around, I, f I think he said just about every 50 years, which is where we're seeing ourselves sort of now. And when we look back, we're looking back into like the 70s, which is referencing the beginning of our talk, the Rolling Stones. Cocaine comes around just about every 20 years, which is sort of more the Motley Crue era, which is the 80s. That's when Coke was big. And I think that's the two that he really talked about in the cycle. But obviously with your immense um, knowledge of the music industry, would you say that that timeline and cycle really kind of fits in with the um, yes. industry? I, I think it does. I think it does. Uh, if you're Steven Tyler... Uh, I managed him, and uh, he's been around since the 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the last decade, uh, he uh, had a problem with prescription drugs. Uh, he had issues uh, that your father had uh, before that. So... You know, some artists have been in rehab multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm proud of is 
A, getting them there, and two, making sure that they keep working on themselves after they get out. And that's the key. Uh, the ones that do the work are the ones that finally kick uh, their addiction. Uh, the ones that never resolve their issues on a psychological level uh, from their childhood, the ones that aren't willing to change uh, the, the amount of touring they do uh, and take the breaks they need. Those are the ones that aren't doing the work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I've dropped a lot of artists. Uh, You've mentioned the cranberries. Uh, I dropped the cranberries uh, because Dolores had some real problems. And I went to see a doctor when we canceled a tour for her insurance with her and her husband. And I made it very clear to her that we're canceling the tour, which upset her very much, but I think it saved her life at that time. And that was in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And she passed away about uh, four years ago. Okay. Uh, I remember doing some research oh. on that, and that was related to alcohol, was it? Well, it was alcohol and drugs. Uh, okay. She drowned in a bathtub in her hotel, uh, like Whitney Houston. So, uh, you know, the uh, the main challenge is, do you care about money or do you care about people's lives? And I've been very fortunate to do really, really well because... I make choices that are best for the artist and myself. So when an artist isn't going to get better, uh, I drop them, hoping that that sends them a message. Uh, the message is pretty clear when I sign them. No artist has ever done better after me. Right. Um, when I drop them, I remind them of that. And I asked them to go do the work. And in her case, she did. And then she didn't have very good people around her because they didn't monitor her. And she relapsed. So to me, I'm knock on wood happy that I got Steven Tyler sober back in his band, Aerosmith, and mm. he's healthy. I'm just as happy that I got Ivan from Five Finger Death Punch uh, back in his band and into arenas around the world. Um, his life is much better, and I'm able to keep working with them. And he's been sober for half a decade. Uh, I was been sober for a decade. Uh, mm. But... Uh, when I'm not working with them, I can't really help them. So for me, again, uh, the problem with incentives is they work. My incentive has always been if I do the right thing, I have good karma. If I have good karma, I'll find another act. And I always find other artists. Mm -hmm. And I've never had a year where I didn't have artists in arenas. 
So uh, for me, uh, I think it's about the clarity uh, and the, the direction that a manager gives an artist uh, that makes for a good team. It's when you don't tell an artist what they need to hear. You tell them what they want to hear, that you run into the problems uh, that Dolores uh, ended up having again. Right. Uh, I, I'm very blunt and tell an artist what they need to hear. Uh, I tell them I'm not their friend, I'm their manager. Uh, and if you start the relationship that way, uh, you're not worried about um, how they feel personally. You're worried about if they're taking care of themselves. Um, so that's just my approach. I wish that that approach was happening throughout the industry. I know when I was on the board of the uh, Global Recovery Initiative, that mm-hmm. uh, I got that message across to uh, the board and through the board and the organization to uh, thousands of people. And uh, to me, that's what's important is getting that message out. You know, and that message is something that I haven't really heard much about because in one of my earlier episodes, I had one of my friends who was just seeking sobriety he was about four months sober and he was on the episode and he was talking about how the best thing you can do for somebody seeking recovery is to be compassionate and to just act like a good friend like just be very supportive and it sounds like you sort of take a similar but different approach through like i on like i understand that you say to these artists that you're not their friend but it's clear that you are enforcing sort of tough love for the better for them because ultimately what's better for them is better for you in the industry. So I guess my question is, is it sort of hard to make that divide, to make that separation from being one's friend in the industry with these artists? Well, if you, if, if you um, set that as the boundary from the beginning, mm-hmm. it's, uh, makes you uh, free. It, it takes the restraint off of telling them what they need to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, many managers, I have a record company as well, and I, I deal with managers all the time. And I find it remarkable how they tell me they're friends with their artists. And I ask them, doesn't that complicate how you approach them? If you're at their house and they're at your house, does it change your role? And your role is to be uh, giving them direction. It's, it's not to be their friend because then you blur the lines and mm-hmm. they may take offense to you doing your job uh, because if you're their friend, your role is to only be support. And if you're telling them what they need to hear, they may find that not to be supportive. Right. But if you've never gone down that road, they're understanding that you're trying to do something for them that's going to help them, but also you. Uh, a manager gets 15% 
of a band's income. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're thinking short term if you don't protect your artist and you want to be their friend. If you're thinking long term, um, I've been managing Blondie and Motley Crue for almost 30 years. Uh, both have had wow. these issues. Both have resolved their issues. And both play arenas and stadiums around the world. Uh, same thing that just happened with Life and Your Death Punch. So I do understand uh, that a friend being empathetic and supportive is very important. Uh, and I ask artists to surround themselves with their friends and their family. Uh, but I'm not in that role. My mm-hmm. role is to know which facilities work, um, who can be on the road to support the work that's been done at the rehab facilities and help them find the therapist that can help them work through and get new kinds of skills to be able to deal with their pain. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. And just coming from like an outside person, well, I'm not really going to call myself an outside perspective because I've seen the recovery process firsthand and I've been in that role of being a supportive person. And I really do see the draw in it, but also because my dad didn't really go through a traditional recovery route where he has somebody like you who is there for best interest and not as a friend really. I can see how that would be almost more effective, how there being somebody who tells you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. Like I can sort of just already imagine the effect that somebody like you would have. And I think that it's something that should be broadcasted more. Like you said, when you talked in front of the panels, you wish that you would have been able to spread that message more. And I think that it's a very good incentive for people to sort of create roles like that and I've actually sort of talked to somebody like that where I had somebody on this podcast who was labeled as an accountability I don't think he goes by the word coach anymore but I'll just say that for now where he's yeah so he just sort of like had clients where if they were seeking recovery he wouldn't really be like that best friend where where he's going to be nothing but supportive, but he's going to hold them accountable for their actions. He's going to tell them, listen, this is what you're doing, and it's either really good or it's messing everything up and you need to stop. Like That's just what I got from his conversation, and I understand that there is sort of a grace period where he is just becoming friends with the person but that's just so he can be an effective sort of like effective at his role, which is sort of the way I'm seeing that you come across where you have been in the industry for so long that you see what is effective and you know, what's going to get the artists either like, well, it's going to get the artists to be healthy and all sanctioned again. And a lot of it uh, becomes an ultimatum. Yeah. Uh, before I managed uh, Steven Tyler, uh, 
He told me he was kicked out of his band, told me what his behavior was like and uh, what his issues were. And uh, he goes, so you're going to manage me, right? And I said, no. Um, I'm going on vacation to Mexico for two weeks. Uh, when I come back, if you're uh, at Betty Ford, um, I will come visit you uh, with a lawyer, and we'll figure out how to get you back in your band. Right. But right now, you're the identified patient, and um, unless you resolve that issue, you can't do it. Uh, it's not my band. They're managed by someone else. I can manage you and get you back in your band. Uh, and even when that didn't work, because they just resented him so much, uh, I told him, you know, he called me uh, in Mexico a weekend, told me he was in Betty Ford. Uh, I said, great. When I get back, let me call up the Aerosmith guys and get a board of directors meeting. Uh, you're on the board. The members are on the board. Your managers are on the board. And they kick you out. And what we'll do is when you're out of uh, rehab, we'll explain to them that you no longer have the issue and that you're going to keep working on yourself. And we'll get you back in your band because they didn't do it in right. an orderly way. But more importantly, so they don't argue about it, uh, let me see if I can get you on American Idol where you're on TV every day. And it's going to make it very difficult for them to go out on the road mm -hmm. and replace you. Uh, and 